It's a fountain. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I'm shouting at you. And, um, okay. 1998 was the year that we won national championship Tennessee. We've never forgotten it. We've never let anybody else forget it. Uh, it's sort of what we, <laughs> we just hold on to it until we can get another one. And I think that day's going to come. I really do. Um, but it was also a famous year because in 1998 in the NFL draft, it was the most anticipated draft in history, mainly because of two very talented young quarterbacks. One of them, you should know, Peyton Manning. <laughs> yeah. Peyton Manning. Um, and if you're a football fan, you're never going to forget him. Um, the other was a guy named Ryan Leaf. Now, some of you knew that because you're just so hardcore fantasy players, and some of you maybe thought, Ryan Leaf? Never heard of the guy. Peyton we know, but who was Ryan? He had been a Heisman Trophy runner-up. Peyton finished second in voting. Ryan finished third in voting for the Heisman Trophy. Ryan had a great arm, and many people, coaches and others, considered him to actually be the better passer of the two. In fact, leading up to the draft, the majority of NFL general managers said that if they had a choice, they would choose Ryan Leaf. As it turned out, Leaf just wasn't ready for the NFL. And he didn't seem to take it all that seriously. He showed up at the scouting combine out of shape and 20 pounds overweight. Later, after he was drafted by the Chargers, he called in sick one day to get out of practice because he wanted to go play golf. And that's just an example. His, his whole attitude and approach was that, that way. He, he played so poorly that he soon found himself on the bench, and uh, he got traded to another team. Uh, things were never the same for him. In fact, Leafs' NFL football career lasted four seasons. Just four seasons. And then he was out. He had been voted number one in the draft bust in NFL history. He was given 10 years probation in the year 2010, just you know, a few years ago, for drug-related issues. And two years later... Uh, was arrested and pled guilty to felony burglary and drug possession. He began serving a seven-year sentence in state prison a little over a year ago, December of uh, 2012, a couple of years back. And then there's Peyton Manning. He's now almost always referred to at some point in a game as future Hall of Famer Peyton Manning. <laughs> And he, and he is. It's like that's a part of his name now. I think he's in about his, what, 15th season as an NFL uh, quarterback, having what many thought wasn't going to be a real great season and now say probably one of the best seasons he's ever had in his, in his whole life. And there was another storied comeback uh, or draft, I guess, occurred in the, just a couple of years later in the year 2000. That year, in the first six rounds of the draft, seven quarterbacks were selected. The first six don't really matter. But the seventh player drafted, who was, by the way, the 199th player picked uh, that year chosen was 
a guy named Tom Brady, or as he's called today, future Hall of Famer Tom Brady. Since like Peyton Manning, he's almost sure uh, to be inducted, I think, as soon as he's eligible. You know, it's easy now to look back and see why both of those guys, why Tom Brady and Peyton Manning have had such great careers. They just had raw talent. Uh, They have qualities that simply make players uh, great and a lot of people lack. Uh, They both have this obsessive commitment to be the best. They both play the game with a team first kind of a mentality. And they're single-minded about winning football games. And when you watch football, you can spot players that you think they're going to end up in the Hall of Fame one day. You can just tell it. Sometimes even at a high school level, you can just tell about how somebody approaches something, what they're going to be uh, later on in their life. Folks, it's the same way for those who finish strong uh, in their Christian experience, in their Christian life. Those who are going to be able to say in their final days with the Apostle Paul, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. You can spot them. They're like future Hall of Famers. They have the attitude, the habits, and the priorities that top-tier people always have. You know, I'm a pastor, and I see people at all different ages, and I've been with several people when they've passed away. And I've uh, spoken at a lot of funerals, and I know a lot of young people. I was in youth ministry for years and years. And today I want to talk to you about how to be the kind of person that's going to end up in God's Hall of Fame. We're in the second week of a series called Finish Strong. the, The whole premise, my idea was, instead of beginning the new year, thinking about all the things we want to start doing, and this, which was kind of typical. Here's my New Year's resolutions. What I did is I just fast-forwarded into my calendar to next December, next November, and think, how do I want to finish? I want to finish strong. I want to finish 2014 strong. You know what? I'm at this place in my life now. I'm thinking about the finish line. You know, if this is a, if this is a marathon, if this is a long distance, it's not a sprint, um, I'm starting to think about the finish. I want to finish strong. I want to finish well. Because I've known a lot of men and women who didn't. Who didn't. And I want you to finish well. So that's what we're talking about. And today we're, we're in the second chapter. There are three things in this second chapter of Second Timothy that show us what we need to do, who we need to be in order to be Hall of Famers. And if you live these things, I promise you, that's where you're going to be. You're, you're, going to, you're going to be in God's Hall of Fame. I guarantee it. So first, uh, turn in your, uh, your Bible, if you've got a Bible or a tablet or a phone or, I don't know, if you've got this memorized, that's just really awesome. Um, in Second Timothy chapter 2, here's the first idea, first principle, if you're going to be in the Hall of Fame, it's this, hold yourself to a higher standard. Hold yourself to a higher standard. I was so content in high school and in other environments just to get along, just to be mediocre. I held myself to like a a C level. You know, I figured that was good enough, and that was good enough. We had a class of 300 in my high school. I finished number 100 
I thought, that's pretty good. I, 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 think, I always like to say I'm like in the top third of my class. It just sounds better than being number 100. But I did that and still missed 42 plus 3, 45 days of school my senior year of high school. I did not go to senior year, 45 days. Because I didn't care. I wasn't focused. I wasn't holding myself to a higher standard. Here's what Paul said to Timothy in verse 15. He said this. Do your best to present yourself to God as one who is approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling uh, the word of truth. This little phrase, the, the one as one approved... You think, what is that? Is that like FDA? Is that like uh, you meet a certain... Yeah, it kind of is. It's the one who has passed the test or the requirements. Some of you know what it's like to go to an interview before a job. You've turned in your resume. You try to make it look good. And you've got that interview. Or maybe you're working on a degree and you have to defend. I had to defend. I had to stand before my last degree, a panel of people, and I had, to, I had to say, this is why I believe Isaiah wrote Isaiah, and this is why I believe this. And, and they would ask questions, and, and you've got to be ready to pass those tests, right? Some of you, you just came out of finals last semester, you know, and you went into Christmas break with those under your belt thinking, wow, that's a big deal because that determines where I go next. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, as one approved, as one, you've passed the test. He said, hold yourself. At the, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul gives Timothy three illustrations of what he's talking about. He just kind of compares our life uh, to be as an effective Christian to a soldier, an athlete, and then a farmer. In verse 4, he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It's to please his commanding officer. Paul is talking about living with a total commitment. With total commitment. Uh, a couple of us went to, Scott and I went to see a friend of mine. We saw um, Lone Survivor last night. Went to see that. And, and, and in one scene, they're kind of arguing back and forth about what to do in a situation. I'm not going to spoil it for you, but they're saying, well, should we do this? We've got three options. Which one should we do? And they kind of went back and forth until the commanding officer on the site said, here's what we're going to do. And immediately all the discussion was shut down. Immediately everybody said, roger that. Yes, sir. Here's what we're going to do next. You know, I have all these opinions. God, what do you want to do in my life? But at the end of the day, when the Lord says, hey, Dan, this is my plan. Will you be willing to abandon your agendas and follow me? Yes, sir. That's what Paul's talking about. And there was no such thing as a weekend warrior in the Roman army. I know we have reserves now, uh, which is an awesome thing. I think it's like 250,000 men and women who are ready if we need them in military reserves. But it's not that way in the Christian experience. You can't be a part-time Christian. I'm going to say this gently but firmly because I think a lot of people live like that. You're Christian in this room or on Sunday or at different moments in our life, but on Friday, Saturday, on Mondays, we kind of put that over to the side and say, well, now it's time to go to work. So, you know, I'm gonna, I'll come back to that. No, that's never the intention of God with our life.
all the time, not on a part-time basis. If you're in, you're in. You're in. You know, I first began to, to walk with the Lord. I had had these experiences before in my life, and, and I told this guy, he wanted me to go do some things. I didn't feel, you know, that's really inconsistent. I can't do that. And I remember him getting right in my face, and he called me Riley, and he said, Hey, Riley, he said, Are you serious this time? Because you've been in and out, and you've, done, you've gone all over the world with religion and everything. He said, Are you, are you in? Are you, I said, I'm in. No more. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm done being wishy-washy and, and flaky and just kind of in and out and up and down. And all, you know, just, I'm in. I'm in. In verse 5, Paul says, In a, in a similar way, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according uh, to the rules. Here, Paul's talking about personal integrity. Personal integrity. It doesn't matter how skilled an athlete is if he plays like the rules don't apply to him, right? I mean, there's certain rules. If you watched Tennessee last night or you watched New Orleans, you know, in the very end of that, I guess I've got to tell you, Drew's, he, I just I love this guy, you know, and, and I just think, oh, that... And, and then Tennessee, the, like, could you believe how that ended? Maybe you didn't even watch that, but it was just not, just, it just didn't go well. Uh, but we had to play by the rules. And that's what Paul's talking about. He goes, there's a lot of superstars out there, but they feel like the rules don't apply to them in their personal life as well as uh, maybe in a sport. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, and I know you may have been a big deal back in your high school. You may have been you know, captain of the team, you may have been the cheerleader of cheerleaders or the valedictorian or, you know, all of those things. And God bless you, that's really good. But talent means nothing and potential means nothing if you don't have integrity. We've all seen uh, celebrities and politicians and world leaders crash and burn, even though they were brilliant, even though, you know, they had a lot going on, but they didn't have integrity. Then Paul uses the example of a farmer. In verse 6, he said, it's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. He's talking about patient expectation. Another way to describe that would be delayed gratification. And I relate to this because when I want something, I want it right now, you know. And most of the times, I just can't get it right now. I've got to wait. I've got, there's just some time, it's either financially not going to work, or time, or, you know, there's all these ideas. He says, a farmer works for months without any pay, because he knows there's going to be a harvest, and he keeps his eyes on that. He keeps his eyes focused on, this is what's going to happen, so he has to be disciplined, and he has to be patient with that. Uh, So I I think there's a similarity there. There We don't get a payday in the Christian life on the 1st and the 15th of every month, right? You don't teach a class or serve or work with children or do a hundred other things and, and then just immediately see a payback. There was a um, time, I, I've, I've done several weddings, and the only time I've ever asked a couple, I think they should bump back their wedding, was, wow, just the most awkward and uncomfortable time for me. Um, a couple came in. We had been through some counseling. Financially, they were in terrible, terrible, terrible. They were just loaded down with debt and had very low income, and, and it just didn't look good, and the family didn't feel good about it, and even their friends were like, eh, gee, I don't know about this right now. And, but I could tell they loved each other, and they are committed to the Lord. So one day in my office, I said, hey, guys, 
I don't think I've ever told a couple this, but I think we need to push your wedding back about six months. The bride-to-be burst into tears on this little sofa in my office. I felt like such a jerk. I'm just, I'm just sitting there going, hey, but, you know, I just, wow, how about, you know, and she said, I knew you were going to say that. I said, let's develop a plan. So we developed a plan. And we began to, they gave me all their credit cards. I put them, back then, cars had ashtrays. I don't, I don't know. We don't have, uh, but I put those in my car. And I, got, and, uh, I said, when, when we got it all down, and we just started working on it and working on it and working on it. And we began to get it down. And we got it down to about 15. Then we got it down to 5. And at 3, he said, can I have my cards back? And I said, no. We said zero. We said at zero, we're going to cut them all up. But one, I'm going to give you that one back, and you're going to pay it off every month. Because they were really in debt. Uh, so we, we, boy, he was a little, I could tell he was a little, you know, put out with me and thinking, what business, uh, why do you? I said, I don't, I don't, I, I give it to you right now, but that's not what we said. And I'm going to mention it during your wedding ceremony. I'm going to tell everybody, you know, <laughs> I just, uh, you're going to be so uncomfortable. It's going to be really awkward. Uh, but he, he said, no, 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 we can do this. So we got it down to zero. And I'll never forget the day in this front parking lot. We went out there and we got them and we brought them in. We cut them up and we prayed over them. And, um, and then they got married and then they moved to Nashville. I just thought that wasn't fair. I just thought, God, that's not fair. <laughs> not fair. So one day I'm in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, okay? And I'm there with some guys. I'm talking. And all of a sudden somebody grabs me from behind. I look down, there's these two big arms and they pick me up. You know, and I'm like, ah, you know, like, help, help. And I'm trying to pepper spray him or something. You know, and I don't, I don't know who this is. He sets me back down, turns around. It's this guy. And I'm like, dude. And he's like, dude. And we're hugging each other. And everything. he says, oh, man, he says, do you remember me? And I go, absolutely, I remember you. I said, I did your wedding. And I said, it's just beautiful. How are you guys doing? He goes, well, we're still married. And we got two kids. And he said, I own three franchises. Why don't you come back to Calvary and tithe? <laughs> Why does everybody move to Nashville? You know, but it was just so, he said, you know, he said, we were so mad. He said, we walked out. He said, I'll never forget the day we got in the car. We just sat and looked at each other and said, let's get somebody else to do our wedding. <laughs> somebody with no strings attached and not going to make us do anything. And I said, I would understand that. He said, but I know now. He said, I know, I know, I know. He said, if you had not done that, he said, we would have divorced in like two years because finances was huge and we were broke and our family. And he said, and we were, he said, through that discipline, he said, we just kept looking ahead at the pay. Just keep looking ahead. And it works financially. It works with your time. It works if you're, if you're dieting and working out and day three, you think this isn't working. <laughs> I've lost half a pound. I'm not doing it anymore. You know, no. Look ahead. And that's what Paul was saying. He says, you gotta, you got to do that. You gotta do. The Christian life works that way. Now, when, when this doesn't happen right away, a lot of people quit, right? A lot of us quit. Most of us make resolutions, and then by February, well, yeah, well, I changed my mind about that. Here's some what Paul says. Don't be one of those. Don't be one of those. Hold yourself to a standard of total commitment. Hold yourself to a standard of personal integrity and hold yourself to a standard of patient expectations, of delayed gratification. That's how to be a future Hall of Famer. 
Now, the second quality is this. Paul says we need to develop this ability to remember that it's people that are our top priority. See, maybe you've mixed that up. It's, again, this, is, this could be very offensive. It's not about you. You see, the biggest lie that I ever believed, when I found out the truth about it, it just changed my life. The biggest lie that I ever believed was that the story of life was about me. <laughs> that you open it up, and there's my picture, the story of life. And it's, you know, and most of us kind of think that. And most of our parents make us, you are so special, just like all the other children. You know, and, and we're just, we're told that from the time we're born, and we began to think it. It's not about you. The story of life's about God. It's about the other people that he's called you to serve. In verse 10, Paul says, Therefore, I endure everything for me. No, for the sake of the elect, that they also might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He says, I'm doing this for you guys. He says, I'm going to prison. I'm getting beat up, and I'm getting knocked around. I'm getting run out of town. It's for you, because I want you to know Jesus. His attitude was that, you know what, if my being in prison somehow will advance the gospel, and you will get to figure that out, then bring it on. Lock me up. We is more important than me. And always will be. In verse 2, Paul said, um, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men... Who will be able to teach others also? It's people telling people, telling people, telling people, telling people. That's the way it works. In verse 22, he says, pursue. And that means to chase it down. He says, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those. You see, we do it by ourselves? No, he goes, along with those who are called. You run alongside. And I've, I've told college students this. I've told high school students this. Um, that if you want to find the right person, don't keep running after boys. Don't keep running after girls. You know, don't just keep doing that. Just run to Jesus. And as you're running to him, every now and then you look over and see who's running along with you. And you go, hey, baby. You know? <laughs> I'm thinking Bible study. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking... Hey, you want to pray with me? Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know how you're going to do that. You probably got better lines, but um, it worked for me. <laughs> that's, that's what Paul is saying. And he says, I, I endure those things. And it's people telling people, telling people, telling people. You know what? For me, one of the greatest things about being a follower of Jesus, and I say this sincerely, it's you. It's just you. I get to live my life with these people. God has placed in it. He's given me the opportunity to live and to work and to fellowship and to serve and to grow together with you. I love you guys. And um, I think we need each other. Uh, And future Hall of Famers understand that. They don't try to put on a one-man show. You know, they... They understand we is more important than me. There's just one other thing, one other thing, um, and it's this. Stick to what really matters. 
Stick with what really matters. Now, some of you are so ADD, you're just like, oh, what? <laughs> you know, and, uh, and, and some of you are so OCD like me, you're just like, oh, you know, like this. And we have these tendencies because of our personalities to chase after all different kinds of things. You know, something's important, something's trivial. Sometimes you can build your whole life around something that at the end of the day didn't really matter. You know, it just doesn't really matter. So stick to what really is important. The early church was, it was just like our church. You know, we romanticized that, but people were easily distracted over insignificant matters. Back then, to many people, Paul was just another preacher. In fact, some folks considered him to be a heretic because he preached this inclusive gospel that said all people, everybody, regardless of your race, your background, your gender, your, your, gender, your, your social status, your religion, any, whatever you've come from, you're all equal in the eyes of God. Everybody's equal. We're all equal. And that we can be saved through faith in Jesus, any of us. That was amazing. But it wasn't being taught up until then. And a lot of folks didn't like that, especially some of the self-appointed leaders. They would just devote all their time to arguing about these secondary issues. And I know some of these people because they made it through the centuries and they went to my seminary. <laughs> Maybe they're in your dorm, right? Maybe they're uh, in your neighborhood or your community group. Well, I just think that 20 angels can dance on the head of a pen. And I would like for us to discuss that tonight and argue about it. Well, you're wrong. It's 100. Well, no, I'm not. You know, and and we, we do this about a, a bazillion different things because we get tied to something. And we go back and forth and back and forth and... Well, it usually just creates disunity and confusion. In verse 23, Paul, in his delicate, very tactful, eloquent way, says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant, which is the word for stupid, controversies. You know that they just breed quarrels. Hey, Paul, could you lighten up a little bit? He goes, no, you know, let me classify those kind of conversations that would be stupid and foolish. <laughs> and that, because there are some people who just, I've got some friends, I've got, and sometimes I can get into that, just love to debate. Just love to debate. Whatever it's, it's about, you know. And whenever you say something, they'll just pick it apart. And they love to correct you and challenge you. You're starting to think of somebody, right? And they, they enjoy, you know, and they stay online all day. They scour Facebook and Twitter and all the blogs and forums and they tell everybody else their point of view and how they should be doing their life, you know. Uh, okay, that was free. Um, Paul just gets straight to it. In verse 24, he says, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him for so long after being in bondage for so long he said that they could get set free so the point of that is and something i'm learning is that you can be right but be gentle about it don't be arrogant don't be obnoxious you know even you know when you when you know you're right 
And it's not just silly arguments that Paul tells us to avoid. Uh, In verse 16, he said it's all kinds of foolish talk. Uh, One version says it's it's godless chatter. Uh, In mine, he says, avoid irreverent babble. You know, just this is just blah, 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 blah. He says, because you just become more and more ungodly. And I think that includes criticism, gossip, complaining. You know, have you ever known somebody to make it to the finish line? Have you ever known a future Hall of Famer? Have you ever known somebody in their Hall of Fame acceptance to say, yeah, I mean, like last week, Glavin and Maddox. You didn't, you didn't hear them going, yeah, well, if, if the catcher would have done a better job, I'd have even better stats than I do now. Or if my, I mean, No, you don't hear them complaining and whining. Okay, you, you hear people. Uh, and if you do that, you're, just gonna, you're never going to make it to the finish line. You're just going to get stuck. You're just going to get stuck. Paul said in Ephesians 4, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Just stop talking like that. You talk like that when you were a little kid. Put it away now. Now, in verse 22, he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. I know when I say that, you're thinking, Yeah, those youth, they're so passionate. And he probably is alluding to sexual behavior. He's saying, You need to take a step back from that. You need to guard yourself. And I get that he's talking about that, but I think he's talking about some other things too. Because these evil desires that plague us when we're young and foolish, uh, if we don't deal with those, then you will continue until you're old and foolish. Hey, folks, if you're my age or older, maybe a little younger than me or getting older, just acquiring years, just chronology, that does not make you wiser. I think we've kind of gotten that idea that if I just keep getting old, you know, by the time I'm, well, I'm pretty, well, he's pretty wise. I've known some of the most foolish old people. So I'm not picking on, you know, some of you who are young because you've got a built-in excuse. Why did you do that? I'm young and foolish. <laughs> you know, just, oh, all right, get out of here, you know, or don't do it again. I'm telling you, young whippersnapper. Um, that's for the 20-somethings. Um, You know, and you just, but when you get old, what's your excuse? Why did you do that? I'm old and foolish. (laughs) You see, it just doesn't sound the same, does it? It just doesn't have that, don't be one of those people. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about self-centeredness. If you're older and you think the world still revolves around you and what you want, you're foolish. You're old and foolish impatience. I know what I want. I want it right now. It's foolish. Arrogance. I know all I need to know about this situation. I know. I don't, don't talk. I know what I know. Don't confuse me. That's arrogant and intolerance. Well, if you don't get it, like I do, I just won't have anything to do with you. And I see that a lot in our culture right now, don't you? To particularly sometimes toward Christians. I'm not trying to be a victim. I'm just saying, okay, we're on the other side. Um, and then temper tantrums. I saw an older person, somebody, that means somebody older than me, not young like me, but, and she just threw a temper tantrum. And it was over, like, the, the way the food was sh- served in a restaurant. 
And I just thought, do you know how childish you look to us right now? This is one of about, a, how many lunches have you had? About a bazillion, I bet you, you know, because you're like 300 years old. And you're crying and yelling at this poor little girl about this, you know, I think, wow, throw a big fit. That's so mature. Okay, we all have a tendency to be like that a little bit sometimes. And some people let go of it as they grow up. Others don't. They just hang on to it. If you're going to finish strong, let it go. Focus on what really matters. Focus on what really matters. Hall of Famers care more about winning games than racking up stats for themselves. In the same way, Hall of Famers in life care more about winning souls than winning arguments. And anything that stands in their way, any bad habit, bad attitude that's holding you back, just abandon it now in January and leave it behind. Because people who do that know what really counts. They want to keep their focus clear and sharp. My fantasy team just crashed this year. And you know that place where you're about two-thirds through the season and you're not doing so good, so you start getting all wacky? You know, you just think, I bet this guy's a sleeper. and He's just way back there. Nobody's noticed him, but he's really good. He's not. <laughs> he's going to break your heart, you know. But I just, I just started doing all these crazy things. And what I find is that every Sunday afternoon, every Sunday night, every Monday night, every Thursday night, the NFL is holding... Hall of Fame tryouts. You don't get just one shot at it. You get intercepted. I know this is, you think, hey, Dan, the analogy's getting really thin now. But, you know, you get beat up, you get knocked down, you get sacked, you make a terrible play. Game's not over. You make a brilliant play. Game's not over. That's why they do it week after week. It's tryouts for the Hall of Fame. It's when you put it together. So every week of the season, every player has the opportunity to play with a Hall of Fame mentality. And it's what we do week in and week out that determines the future. So every day of your life, you have the opportunity to try out for God's Hall of Fame. Every day of your life, hold yourself to a higher standard. Every day of your life, remember that it's people that are your top priority. It's relationships. And every day of your life, get a focus, a clear, sharp focus that really matters. So that ultimately, you will be able to say the same thing that Paul says in in our last chapter. When we look at this again, he said, I fought a good fight. Fought a good fight. And I finished the race. I kept the faith finish strong. Folks, I just want to finish strong. I just want you to finish strong. Let's stand.